The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 1. So thankful for all of you, Brianna, for leading us in this very busy season that you have going on, and grateful for that. Thank you, Tim and Joseph, for you guys' help with the painting, and we got Christmas gifts coming in, and just all sorts of things going on that uh, you make your pastor very proud and very blessed to be a part of. Uh, this group together, we can serve the Lord and love Him together. Luke chapter 1, um, you know in my years of ministry, I don't think I've ever, I don't think the Lord has ever had my heart mull over, consider and reconsider and consider again and think about it again and pray about it again of, of what it would be that the Lord would have me share with you all this morning, so what I'm about ready to say in the next 30 minutes is going to be as much of a surprise to me as it is to you. And uh, I just pray that the Lord would help us. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Father, you have been so good to us. And God, what a privilege it is to, to be in a group and a family here together. To serve our community, to love the community, to love each other. God, that your spirit would just be among us. God, what a, what a sweet thing that is. You're, you're working in so many of our lives. And God, you've raised up the men in this church to lead in so many areas and to have the responsibility. And you're, you're moving among families and bringing Eldon and his family here safely and, and moving in that process. And God, you're just, you're among us. And God, in the places in our lives that you're among us and we see your work evident, God, it's so sweet. So Father, in these next moments, the last thing that I want is to hear my words. The last thing that I want is for the words of Ben Sweeterman to be spoken. But God, if you would be among us in the ways in which you have been in many of our lives this past week if, if you would be here in a tangible and sweet way holy spirit if you would be among our hearts and convict us and guide us into all truth god that's what we want to hear this morning in jesus name and everybody said amen there are many great principles throughout the christmas story but there's two that are incredible, and they're both related to each other. If you were to rewind back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, you would read and hear about the greatest tragedy that has ever come across the history of humankind. And it's none other than the fall of humanity. The devil came in in the form of a serpent into the garden, he deceived Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve sinned against God in the same way that you and I would have. And God shows up on the scene after this great tragedy that has come upon 
the human race, and he's addressing both the humans and the devil. And I'm largely paraphrasing, but he looks to the devil and says, there, there will come one. There, there will come one who will undo this. This great work that you have done, there will come one who will undo this and you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. You will inflict on him a non-lethal wound, but he will inflict on your head a devastating, fatal blow. In Isaiah chapter 9 we read, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You fast forward from that time that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah about 700 years to the book of Luke in chapter 1 and we read about Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, going to visit her relative, Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. And Mary goes to the house, Elizabeth and Zacharias, married couple, goes, she goes to their house and she calls out her greeting to, to announce that it's her coming to see her relative Elizabeth. And we read in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, it says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Just a few verses later in verse 68, we read the words of Zacharias. This would be the father of John the Baptist, Elizabeth's Husband, He says, blessed is the Lord God. He's speaking of Jesus. He says, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets who have been since the world began. You fast forward then to the time when the baby Jesus is, is born on the night that He was born in Luke chapter 2 of verse 11. And these lowly shepherds that are out on the night watch tending to the flocks in the middle of the night, there opens the sky this huge heavenly array of angels glorifying and praising God. And one of the angels says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You fast forward eight days from that time and Mary and Joseph, the, mo the mother and father of Jesus, are bringing Jesus into the temple to do all the custom of the Mosaic Law as was in their custom. And there was a man there named Simeon. And Simeon was promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ, until he saw the Messiah, until he saw the Redeemer. And Simeon, being a righteous man, a man filled with the Holy Spirit, goes up and picks Jesus up in his arms, this eight-day-old baby in his arms, and he says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
There was another lady in the temple there at the same time when Jesus was eight days old. Her name was Anna in Luke chapter 2, verse 38. And she comes over and she sees this baby, this eight-day-old baby. And it says, and coming in, in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of Him, spoke of this baby Jesus to all who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And as we know the story, Jesus did not just stay a baby. He grew up into a man who lived a sinless, perfect life. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. We know the purpose of why Jesus came on that first Christmas. You fast forward from there on the night, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night prior to His crucifixion, and He's in the place called the Garden of Gethsemane, and He says, Oh my Father, this is Jesus praying, He says, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. Let this bitter cup pass from Me. Let this torturous cup pass from me let this crucifying beaten horrible cup pass from me jesus says nevertheless not as i will but as you will in john 19 verse 28 jesus is hanging on the cross and he's in the very last breathing moments of his earthly life and it says after this jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I thirst. Now a vessel of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with the sour wine and put it on a hyssop and put it to His mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, why did He receive the sour wine? Why was there a vat of sour wine there? Why did Jesus want this in His last dying moments? Why did He want to drink this sour wine? I believe it's none other than to to show us, to be the symbolism, to show us that the bitter cup that you and I deserved had been drank. The bitter cup that Jesus was praying to the Father, if there's any other way, let this cup, this torturous, painful, heinous, crucifying cup pass from Me. And in His last moments, He takes that sour cup to show us that that bitter cup that you and I deserve, church, It was drank on our behalf by Jesus. And He said, It is finished. And bowing His head, He gave up His spirit. But we know that wasn't the end of the story. Praise God. In Luke 24, there was a group of ladies going to go visit the tomb of Jesus much in the same way that you and I would go visit the grave side of a loved one. And they get there, and there's an angel there who says to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Somebody say Amen. Amen. Revelation 21, verses 6-7 through says, It is done, Jesus says of Himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water, of life, freely to Him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall shall inherit all things, and I will be His God, and He shall be My Son. So church, something that should sound interesting to us about this is that God used a baby 
to fulfill what it was that he said he was going to do. It's almost as if, and I'm largely paraphrasing, but it's almost as if in Genesis chapter 3 that God looked at the devil and said, Devil, yes, you have real power to deceive. Yes, your goal and your mission is, not, is nothing other than to steal, kill, and destroy. Yes, you have caused this terrible curse of sin to come upon the world. And yes, there will be one that will come against you whose heel you will bruise. You will inflict on him a non-lethal wound. But there will come one, and it's going to be a baby that will inflict on you a fatal blow to your head. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things which are mighty. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, my, that God speaking of Himself, He says, My strength is made perfect in weakness. So the very first great principle of Christmas that we see is that God has made a way for sinners to be redeemed from the curse of sin. When He took that bitter cup that you and I deserved, when He drank it for us, it's almost as if, church, the prophets of the Old Testament were announcing the game. And the empty tomb, that fatal blow that the, that the Messiah inflicted upon the head of the devil and crushed and undid His work, and it was the strikeout pitch. Christmas is the wind-up to that pitch. So church, let us celebrate. And I'm super excited tonight for our Christmas party. We're going to celebrate. There should be no one that celebrates Christmas more than a Christian who's excited about Jesus. We ought to celebrate with trees and lights and tinsel and ham and turkey and, and eggnog, the unspiked kind, and, and all the things that we enjoy about Christmas. We should celebrate and celebrate passionately. But let the cause of that celebration be in truth. That the Old Testament tells the story, the announcement of the game. And the empty tomb was the strikeout pitch. And the first Christmas is the wind-up to that pitch. God has made a way for sinners to be redeemed from the curse of sin. Christmas is not just about Luke chapter 2. It's about Genesis chapter 3. Of a Savior coming that would undo the work of evil. It's much deeper than just Luke chapter 2. It goes way back beyond that and way forward beyond what we could ever even imagine. Christmas is so much more than just what we celebrate. So when we celebrate, let's stay locked and loaded and celebrate our Savior for undoing the work of the devil that otherwise we would be going to hell without Christ. He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer every time His name is mentioned. By Zacharias and Elizabeth, He's referenced as a Redeemer as a Savior, not just a baby in the manger. Yes, that is what He is, but it was the wind-up to the strikeout pitch. That is what Christmas is about. Somebody say amen if you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Whew. Stay with me now. The second great principle, among many others, and one that is already shown well in what we've covered thus far, is that God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. Jesus says, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And we see that played out perfectly in the Christmas story of God using this 
humble, I mean, what was it that caused Lucifer to be cast out of heaven? Because as we know from Scripture, he used to be the worship leader of heaven. He was a glorious angel, the most glorious angel, a powerful being. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that music would simply emanate from his presence. One of God's most glorious creations, but it was, it was prideful exaltation of himself and his rebellion against God that cast him out of heaven. And it was this humble baby laying in a, in a manger, original word, fotny, which, which literally described either a stone, probably a stone, potentially a wooden feed trough. Some of you have been raised around livestock as I have. Feed troughs, doesn't matter what it's made out of, has urine and manure on it. That's what a feed trough is, a fotney. And that's what our humble Jesus came in and he inflicted the fatal blow to the enemy of our soul. God exalts the humble. He exalts the humble and he humbles the exalted. Three great examples that we see of this are Mary and Elizabeth, the shepherds, and King Herod of that time. So if you're in in Luke chapter 1, look now to verse 39. We already read a portion of this, but we'll focus in and see the response of Mary and Elizabeth and why this is so important and what it means for us today. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, verse 40, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. Now much to the contrary of much Catholic doctrine and influence that elevates Elizabeth, I believe, to the level of sainthood and Mary almost to a godlike status, when we read just what's in Scripture, when we see just of how these two ladies viewed themselves, Elizabeth is saying, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord would even come here? And Mary's saying, the Lord has regarded my lowly state. These ladies were humble. They lowered themselves. And as, as far as we can tell, they were the first with Jesus being in the womb of Mary Elizabeth and Mary were the first humans to worship Jesus. And He's not even born yet. And this is so 
incredible when you understand the time in which all of this took place. As I've referenced before, that during this time frame, when Jesus was alive on this earth, women were not highly regarded at all. Women in this time were to speak when spoken to. They were to return eye contact only when looked at. They were to only eat in a separate room from the men and only after the men had eaten. They were only supposed to walk through a doorway after and only after the man walked through first. Women were not highly regarded. Their words were not highly regarded or trusted as truth. They were basically seen, as Aristotle viewed, basically one level above animals is how women were viewed in this time. But they humbled themselves and God used them mightily for His kingdom. John the Baptist being the greatest prophet that ever was, and Jesus the Messiah, the Savior of the world, born of these women, and they were the first ones to be able to worship King Jesus. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. God exalts the humble regardless of cultural norms. God exalts the humble regardless of cultural norms. There was a governor in Massachusetts who was running hard for re-election. And he was late one day to a barbecue. And he had been busy that day. He had no time to get breakfast. So he arrives to this barbecue and he is famished. And he's in line to get his food. And he gets up to where the one very humble servant, this, this waiter, waitress type figure is, is passing out the, the pieces of chicken. And he, she puts one piece of chicken on the governor's plate and the governor says I'm very hungry could I have two pieces of chicken and this this humble servant of a girl she says I'm sorry sir I've I've been instructed by my boss that I'm only supposed to in this catering company I have to obey the rules and I I have to respect the leadership I'm only allowed to give one piece of chicken to each person and the governor says "I, I don't think you understand I'm I'm famished I didn't have any breakfast. I didn't have time to eat breakfast today. Can I please have two pieces of chicken? And she humbly says, I'm sorry, sir, but I I must respect the authority above me. I I must do what I told them I was going to do and only one piece of chicken per person. So he decided, the governor decided to pull out his governor card. And he hadn't done it yet, but he decided to. He says, ma'am, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. And I'm asking you, to give me another piece of chicken. To which the humble girl looked up and said, Sir, I don't think you realize who I am. I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Now move along. (laughs) God exalts the humble regardless of cultural norms. And you say, Pastor Ben, what does this specifically mean for us? It means that whether or not we are educated or uneducated, whether or not we are attractive or unattractive in the world's standards, whether we are a scholar or a simple person like your pastor is, whether you're influential or non-influential, a bigwig or a nobody, the principle that we understand seen in the story of Christmas here is that God exalts the humble regardless of cultural norms regardless of your gender or the color of your skin or how influential you are in your community or in your household, God exalts the humble. And like these ladies, He used them mightily because of their humility, because of the lowness that they put themselves under God. 
If you're in Luke chapter 1, which you should be, just turn a little bit over to Luke chapter 2. Another great example that we see here, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, Luke chapter 2, look to verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. So these shepherds, again, if you didn't know, shepherds in these days were considered kind of the lowest rung. Shepherds didn't have nice clothing. They didn't get paid very much. They weren't incredibly influential in their their culture and in their towns. And to top it all off, these are not just regular shepherds. These are shepherds on the night watch. Doesn't get any lower than this. And isn't it interesting, church, that in this area, in this place, without a doubt, there were Pharisees and Sadducees who had nice clothes. And religious leaders who were very influential in their culture and in their towns. And, and they had the nice house and the nice things and the fancy robes. And, 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 and they, were, they were all about it. But, but God chose rather to show these lowly, humble shepherds on the night watch this incredible, glorious display of angels worshiping Christ. And God chose not to show the religious elite, these, these Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and all of these people. And as far as we can tell, the shepherds were the first ones there to see the babe lying in a manger. They were the first earthly, now Jesus, outside the womb. They were the first ones to, to see Jesus and to worship Him. You can write this down. God exalts the humble regardless of financial status or occupation. God exalts the humble regardless of financial status or occupation. And here is why this principle out of Christmas, this Christmas story is so wonderful for you and me. It's because when these shepherds showed up to this this place, this place where animals were kept, and they see this babe lying in a fotney, lying in this manger where animals would have been eating out of, and, and they see this, they showed up in their shepherd clothing. They went quickly to Bethlehem to see the thing that the Lord had made known to them. And and undoubtedly, I'm just picturing this in my mind, that if they were shepherds on the night watch, they had their their shepherd clothing on. They probably had their shepherd staff with them. And they, they had manure on their shoes. 
that they didn't have anything to offer. Certainly, I'm, I'm imagining that if God were to have chosen to show this glorious display to all the religious elite and the Pharisees and all the rich folk that were in the town, they probably would have gone in and it felt like it, they, they were the honored guests of Jesus. These shepherds, they don't have anything to offer. They're, they, they're, they're, they, as soon as they're done, they've got to go back to the fields. They, they're just shepherds with, that, with dirty clothing on, and, and they're just coming to see what it was that God had had shown them God exalts the humble regardless of financial status or occupation, whatever their job was. He exalts the humble. And this is great news to you and me because it's a perfect picture and reminder that when we come to Jesus, we don't have anything to offer Him. We should come to Jesus like these shepherds. We're just, we are who we are and we don't, we don't have we don't have anything to offer. The Bible says that our best righteousness is like filthy rags before God. Isn't it interesting that the people in filthy rags were the ones that came to Jesus that God chose to reveal Himself and to reveal the coming of His Son, to reveal the wind-up to the pitch of the strikeout pitch that, that created the fatal blow against the enemy of our souls. It was these lowly shepherds. This is, however, very bad news to anyone who thinks that they can come to God and work their way to Him. Based on their status, based on their influence. If you have a legalistic view of God that you can somehow please Him with your performance, this is very bad news to you. But for those of us that are willing to come just as we are before God, as broken, sinful people that need His redemption and His forgiveness, it's great news that we can just run to Jesus. If you wish, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 2. I'll largely paraphrase here. God exalts the humble, as we said. But another great principle is that God humbles the exalted. And we see this played out perfectly in Matthew chapter 2 in God's dealings with King Herod, who was the king in this time. King Herod came from a long line of nasty, nasty people. The stories, not just in the Bible, but any Jewish literature that you can find in this time, the Herod family, was they were horrible. They were liars. They were, they were bloodthirsty. They were just wicked people. Nasty, nasty family. And Herod, King Herod, there were many people of that name, but this particular king in this time was no exception. The wise men come, and, and they're following this star. And they thought for sure the king would know where this king of the Jews was. So they go to the king Herod and ask, where, where is it that the king of the Jews is? And Herod starts to get a little worried. And, and he, he gathers, he doesn't know Scripture. So he gathers the Pharisees and Sadducees, people that were well-read, the scribes, people that, whose jobs was to copy the Old Testament from one copy by hand to the next copy to the next copy to the next copy. They knew Scripture pretty well. So he gathered them around and said, where is it foretold? Where is it prophesied? Where is the king of the Jews supposed to be born? And they all say it's Bethlehem. They quote some Old Testament scripture and they say it's out of the city of Bethlehem, the town of Bethlehem, that the, the, the Savior, the, the king of the Jews is supposed to come out of. So he gathers the, the wise men that had traveled approximately six to 800 miles, not really sure how far, but a very far distance in that time. And he brings them back and he says, the Savior, the, the, the King of the Jews, is supposed to be born in the city of Bethlehem. Go and find Him, and when you have, bring back word so that I also can go and worship Him. 
And he was lying, obviously, as we know the story. The wise men go to Jesus. They offer their, their gifts of gold, of frankincense, and myrrh. That's why we think there were potentially three. There may have been more wise men than three. We just know that it was three gifts. It never explicitly says that it was three men. It was just three gifts. There may have been multiple, but they gave these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, God instructs them not to go back to Herod. So they go back to their home country another route, and they never go back to give word to Herod that Jesus was in Bethlehem and who it was that was supposed to be foretold in the Old Testament Scriptures, the King of the Jews. And Herod shows how wicked he is and how upset he was and how he had been duped by these wise men. He gets so angry that he causes, he puts out a decree that all the males, two years old and younger, are to be slaughtered in this region. And, and that happens, and and he thinks that he's going to be able to, to quench whatever king that is supposedly going to rise up that is foretold of in the Old Testament. He thinks he's going to be able to get rid of them that way. But not only is, is he duped once by the wise men, by these wise, powerful kings who traveled very far to see the baby Savior, who approximately this time would have been about two years old, he's duped again by Joseph, a simple carpenter man. And God warns Joseph, saying that Herod is going to seek the life of the child, flee to Egypt. And him and Mary and Jesus stay in Egypt until God visits him again in a dream and says, the one who was seeking the life of the child is now dead. You can now go back. So Herod was duped not once, but twice. This, this exalted king who was making sure that no one else had his fame and his glory got humbled not just by wise men, but also by a simple man who had the occupation of being a carpenter. So you can write this down. God humbles the exalted. And we can trust Him to right every wrong. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph in this time, and these wise men come, and, and Jesus is probably about a year and a half, two years old. These wise men come and offer these great gifts, and, and they're thinking in their hearts, like, could He be the Messiah? Could, could He be the one that was foretold of in all of these Old Testament Scriptures? And, 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 and all of a sudden, the, the, the wise men don't go back to the king, and they leave this other way, and there's this turmoil, and, and Joseph and Mary are thinking to themselves, why, why is the king seeking the life of this child? And, and then Joseph is visiting a dream, and you need to flee. Get out of here. You need to go to Egypt and flee, because there's the king who's going to seek the life of the child. And, and I'm sure they wondered why all of this was happening to them. But when I'm sure at some point it all made sense when God told them they could go back and, and the one who was seeking the life of the child is now dead. God had humbled the exalted man through all sorts of means. And, and Mary and Joseph knew at that point that they could trust God to right every wrong. The man who would seek the life of their baby, of King Jesus, left Herod and he, God left him in confusion and ultimately let him die without ever achieving his goal. So I don't know about you, church, but as we go into this Christmas season and right around the corner from the new year, if you're like me, it's a great time to reflect on all the great blessings that God has given. And I know Abby and I, we are we're so incredibly blessed, and there are so many things that we are just so thankful for. But it also causes you to look back on the year that we've just experienced, on the year that we just came through, and you start to think about some of the things that were difficult, some of the things that were tough, some of the things that maybe left you hurt or maybe some of the people who specifically hurt you 
And what I want us to hear this morning, and Brianna, you can come now if you would, please. What I want us to hear this morning, church, is that, that God exalts the humble. And God humbles the exalted. We can, we can trust God to right every wrong. If there have been situations and people that have hurt us this past year, and have changed how we've walked and, and we've, we've suffered some hurt, whether it was big or small, we can trust that God will right every wrong. The story of Christmas is so much more than just a baby in a manger. It's about Genesis chapter 3 being undone and the enemy of our soul being crushed. It's about humble people humble before God and, and recognizing their lowness before Him. It's about God raising them up and using them in mighty ways. And it's about exalted people, prideful people like the devil and like Herod. And maybe even, I don't want to speak evil of people that I don't even know, but maybe people who have true, at, truthful, in, in a truthful way actually done you some harm this year. We can trust God with them. When we go into this Christmas season, don't hold those things. Go into the new year with a fresh perspective. God will handle those things in His timing. I'm sure that Mary and Joseph questioned why they had to flee to Egypt to keep their son safe. But it all made sense at one point, and they left it in God's hands. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, Oh God, what a wonderful thing You've done in these principles that we see true in the story of Christmas. God, let us celebrate it. Let us celebrate the wind-up to the pitch that Christmas represents of, of, our, of our hero, of the hero of our souls coming to save us. Oh God, let us be more excited about that than anyone. Father, thank You for these principles that we see to be true in the way that You dealt with humanity. We can trust You, God. God, help us to humble ourselves. And help us also, God, to release any hurt or any wrong that has been inflicted upon us this past year. God, we can leave those things in Your hands. We can leave those things at the foot of Your cross. It's enough for us to trust You. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's respond to the Lord and worship together.